turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And while you're doing that, you may have noticed in looking inside the worship folder and the worship service this morning, we're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, we're going to take our, uh, a little break from our series through Acts to focus on something that every once in a while, every few years or whenever the, the officers of the church deem this important, we do something that is essential to biblical Christianity, which is essential to a healthy church, which is vital to how Christ would want us to live our lives and for our church to be. Um, every, as I say, every few years we do that, this and, and take, a, take a, before we move on, take a look at that card. Hold that card in your hand look at it. We want you to know who our officers are, our elders and our deacons, and you'll see two categories there, active and sabbatical. Now, all of these men are serving. They're all ordained. They're all set aside. They were all uh, nominated and eventually elected by you, but we require them every once in a while to take a sabbatical. We have a rotation system. They rotate on and they rotate off. And, and there they are. We want you to be uh, aware of who they are. In fact, if you're an officer here this, this morning, if you're an elder or deacon, whether you're active or you're on sabbatical, would you stand up so, so everybody can see you? They're kind of, it's okay to turn around, look around, look at these men. These are some, there'll be more in the second service, but you can go ahead and have a seat now. Um, thank you. Now, two weeks. Two weeks from now, we're going to enter into, a, 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 again, a, a vital, important season in the life of our church. Beginning November 3rd, you will have an opportunity, if you are a member of Highlands, to nominate new men to join these men as officers. And we'll go into more of the details later of how that works, but that will begin. That season of open nomination will begin in two weeks. And what we're asking you to do is take this very seriously. We'll see in just a minute, God takes it very seriously. Be praying. Commit to praying for, for these men. Commit to praying for these men that, that stood this morning. And go to the Lord and ask, Lord, would you move me as a member of Highlands Presbyterian Church to, to nominate someone to go through officer training in the spring. What would you have me do? Now, it's not required. You don't have to. We'll give you more details on November 3rd. But we would encourage you, even now, to be, first of all, praying for our current officers and praying for our future officers. These are the men that, that seek, they really do, they seek more than anything else to serve you and to minister to you. And again, more, uh, more details on that later. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say this before I read the passage. I know what some of you might be thinking, oh gosh, this is going to be kind of boring. Um, well, you know what? As I said this before, I, I want to jump up and down. My, my previous church saw me jump up and down when it comes to officers. 
you, as a member of Highlands Presbyterian Church, this is one of the most important things that you do. Pray for your officers, nominate your officers, elect your officers. It is, bar none, one of the most important things that you do. And it is vital to the health of this church. Now, if you're not a member of Highlands, now some of you are going through inquirers and considering, I would encourage you to continue to consider and go ahead and join the church. If you're a member somewhere else, you'll find that what we're going to talk about this morning is just as relevant to the church of which you are a member. If you're just visiting today. If you're not a member of any church, if if you're wondering right now, what in the world have I walked into this morning? If you're not a member of any church, you're going to get to to learn what churches are and do, biblically. What churches are, what churches do, what churches should look like this morning. So this, this is important for all of us. You know, we have so many books, so many articles, so many tapes, so many series out there on leadership. Leaders, what leaders are supposed to do. This is going to be an emphasis this morning. We're going to see an emphasis this morning on on God's definition of leadership. What does God want in leaders? And this is something that is relevant, it's important, it's vital for all of us. And God has made it clear and he hasn't left us in the dark about what he expects from our leaders. So before we read from 1 Timothy 3, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for providing your church, your bride, your body, your household with leaders, with elders and with deacons. We thank you that we are, all of us together, the the body of Christ. And as we look at these names, as we consider new men, as we commit this to prayer, Lord, we come and we pray that the very first step, Lord, would would be you coming and bringing this passage alive in our hearts to us this morning as we read it, as we walk through it. And you would continue to bless us and protect us as a body, as your church. And as we read about your leaders, come, won't you? Come by the power of the Holy Spirit and teach us about what you want in leaders. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard. Not violent. But gentle. 
not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith of Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how to behave, how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is God's Word. There's a lot there. Wow. And every time I read that, I get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm more and more overwhelmed by the calling to ministry. But there it is. What God wants in elders, what God wants in deacons, but don't, don't miss the third thing, and hopefully you saw it at the end, what God wants from you. What God wants in elders, what God wants in deacons, and what God wants in you. You know, I've heard through the years various descriptions of elders and deacons, what elders and deacons are supposed to do, what the characteristics should be. Let's get right to the, to the heart, first of all, of elders, remembering that these two offices, these two callings, are both spiritual callings. There's not one office that's higher than the other or better than the other. They're both spiritual callings. But they're different. Different gifts, different talents, different applications of ministry. Think of, think of elders this way. I've been wrestling with this for years, but here's one way to think about an elder. You know what an elder does? An elder desires to disciple. An elder desires to disciple. 
An elder has a passion to see people grow. Whatever they happen to be going through. If things aren't so good or if things are great. Elders have hearts to see people grow. What's the Great Commission? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age in Matthew 28. The picture in the Bible of an elder is one who has been given authority to shepherd, to disciple, to counsel, to lead, to guide, to help you grow, to walk with you through whatever you are walking through, and to be there for you. They do this in very public ways. And they do this in very private ways. You know, we're about to see the elders disciple you this morning toward the end of the service. They're going to to hand you uh, the cup and the bread. And that is a form of discipleship. That's a means of grace. It's a very public thing. They're going to minister to you. I hope you see that. They're going to minister to you this morning, even as they serve you the Lord's Supper. Something else that is somewhat public, but on the private side, that some of you have been, I can, I can see some of you that have been involved in it. And some of you will be involved in it in the future. It's called a healing service. The elders regularly hold healing services. Maybe you, maybe you didn't know that. I can, I can see four or five of you right now that have been a part of those. Theory. And we, you have gone up to the office up there. You've sat down in the chair. We have laid our hands on you and prayed over you and anointed you with oil. And that's what elders do. James 5.14, If any of you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let him... Pray over them, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Lord's Supper, a healing service, which is, by the way, a very, very special service. And again, some of you know that. Teaching. Teaching. Many of you have sat under the teaching of elders in this church. And by the way, let me say teaching here. Teaching does not necessarily mean uh, up in front behind a lectern or a pulpit Uh, It could be one-on-one, it could be small group, it could be in a Sunday school class. Some of the best teachers I know never get up in front of people. Some of the best elders who are teachers that I know never stand up in front of a crowd. But boy, do they teach. And boy, do they disciple. And boy, do they walk with people. Um, And then they do things that are private, as you might imagine. I got a call this week by, uh, as a matter of fact, from an elder at one of the large PCA churches in town who wanted some advice on how we walk with people through hard times as elders. I had a great conversation with him, but it was about hard things, about hard relationships, 
in, in marriages and in families and in, in other ways at work. We had a good conversation back and forth of how, how do we do that better? How should we do that better? You know, he wanted to know how, how we do those hard things. And we, we walk with people if we know, if we're aware, through hard things in very private ways. But we desire, elders desire to disciple. Let's look at a few of the characteristics. Look at this word, aspire or desire. When you think about nominating somebody to go through officer training next month, when you think about nominating someone potentially that, that, who might potentially become an elder, look at these characteristics. Aspire, a noble task. This is a person who desires the opportunity to do ministry and to disciple, but is not looking for status. It's not about status. It's about ministry. It's about an opportunity to, to minister to people. In Titus chapter 1, uh, Paul tells Titus, whenever you go and you plan to church, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to make sure that you appoint elders in those churches. And I want you to make sure that the elders in those churches know that they are stewards of my ministry in those churches. They are to exercise oversight and stewardship. They are to be caretakers of my ministry in the churches. Caretakers of my ministry in the churches. They desire, there's a deep desire to do ministry, to do discipleship. Another characteristic... You know, here's a word that we never really quite know how to get at or how to define, but we hear it all the time, holiness, godliness. What does the pursuit of holiness look like? What does the pursuit of holiness look like? It looks like this list of characteristics. Nobody has arrived, but there is a pursuit of holiness. Above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Not a lover of money, not a recent convert. Somebody who imperfectly as it is has a lifelong pursuit of holiness. Is characterized by a pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of godliness. And we mentioned this one, ability to, to teach, able, able to teach in, in whatever way, whatever fashion. It may be a small group, maybe one-on-one, maybe up front. Reputation. God wants elders, well, here's what he says, well thought of by outsiders. Men of integrity. Men who are well thought of outside of the highlands church and, and community by outsiders. They have a good reputation. They're known for their character and integrity. 
In Ephesians 4, Paul says, here's, here's what they're, they're passionate about. They're passionate about, 4, verse 12, about equipping the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ. Equipping saints, discipling saints, building up the body of Christ to health. If you know the song, I love thy kingdom, Lord, I've thought for many years. Here's, a, here's, a, here's an elder's prayer from one of these stanzas. For her, speaking of the church, for her my tears shall fall. For her my prayers ascend. For her my cares and toils be given till toils and cares end. That's an elder. Elders desire to disciple. They want to walk with people. They want to see people grow. Well, what about a deacon? What does God want in deacons? Think of it this way. Different calling, different office. As you are thinking about somebody, you know, I think this person might make a good deacon. Um, As we enter into November and December, I think I might like to nominate this person, talk to this person, nominate this person, to go through officer training, hopefully to be a deacon one day. You know what deacons do? Deacons, put in a way we can remember, seek to serve. Deacons are looking for ways to serve. Now, you'll notice that all these characteristics should apply to all of us. But God has called some particular, uh, a particular focus to these offices in the church. They seek to serve, and they do it in very public ways. Look at this building. Who takes care of this building? The deacons. They do it in very public. The deacons turn the lights on. They make the coffee. When you walk in the front door, they help you get seated. They hand you a worship folder. They're walking around this church throughout the week and in the morning looking for ways to serve. Very public. Way. They, they, they oversee security and computers and and. All- and on, but you know, they also work in very private ways. You know, they help people that are absolutely distressed. They help people who are in great, great need. And again, some of you, I know, have, have benefited from, from that. I see some of you this morning here who've benefited from that. Benevolence ministry, mercy ministry working with other local ministries that do those kinds of things, and coming alongside people who are desperate and who are in great, great need. You know what the word deacon means? Many of you, I'm sure you do. You know, you know it means servant, but, but even beyond that, it is an ancient word that means... Now, please don't miss this. It is an ancient word that goes way back that means to serve in the presence of a king. What does that mean? It means somebody who serves. Again, we don't have kings in America, so this is a little bit difficult, but here's what it's about. It means that somebody, somebody who has access to royalty, somebody who serves in the very presence of the courts, of the royal court, Somebody who serves in the very presence of Jesus. 
our king. Christ, our king. That's the picture of a deacon. And we have one of the most vivid pictures of either one of these offices in the New, in the New Testament. And it's in one person. And it's one of the most amazing people in the entire Bible was a deacon. He was the first deacon and the first martyr. You know what I'm talking about? Stephen. You remember the story of Stephen in Acts 6 through 8? Um, there's, there's, the, the church is exploding. The church is growing. The leaders of the church are continuing to try to minister to the word, minister the word, disciple people, shepherd people. And they find that in the midst of this growing community, there are people, particularly older people, who are not being taken care of. There are needs in this expanding, really this exploding new community, the church, in the first century, and there are people that are being left out. There are very practical day-to-day needs that aren't being met. And the leaders of the church, the apostles, don't say, look, we don't have time for that. We're doing the really important stuff, which is ministering the word. And they also don't say, no, the really important stuff is mercy ministry and benevolence ministry. No, they say both. And the office of deacon is created in the midst of this boom, in the midst of this, this growth, people being uh, left out. They don't neglect discipleship. They don't neglect service. In fact, one of the, the documents of our denomination uh, says this about deacons. It gets to the heart of deacons. It is the duty of deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and any who may be in distress. God provides an office in his household, in his church, to focus on that. And that's what Stephen's been doing. Stephen's been called as one of the very first seven deacons, and he is serving. And this man, if you look at the characteristics of this man, in Acts 6 through 8, he's a man of incredible character and integrity. But he got caught up in the persecution. The persecution of the church that is led by the man who would eventually write 1 Timothy. And Stephen is taken and stoned to death. And Saul, who would later become Paul, is a witness to it. And he's encouraging it. And in many ways he is behind it. Before his conversion. It says uh, in Acts chapter 8, Paul was raging in in the church. And people were being uh, taken out of their homes and into the streets and, and put to death. And as he is dying, Paul is watching, Paul is encouraging, again, before his conversion, he's watching the death of Stephen, this man who's dedicated his life to serving, a man of great integrity. And as Stephen is dying, you remember Stephen's prayer as he's dying? This deacon's prayer? It's the prayer of Jesus. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know when Stephen is last mentioned in the Bible? 
is it's deacon. He's last mentioned in Acts 22. Who, who is mentioning him? Paul. Paul is in the process of publicly giving his testimony, essentially, of how he comes to Christ. And he's giving all of the highlights, and he's saying one of the highlights was Stephen. And what I saw in that man's life One of the highlights is Stephen and what he witnessed. And he, he essentially says this in Acts twenty two twenty. I was once a witness against Stephen and now Stephen is a witness to me. Augustine once said, and I think there's a little hyperbole here, but it's, it works. Augustine once said, if Stephen had never prayed, Saul would have never preached. Such an influence on Paul. You know, without the support of deacons, then ministry would not take place. Paul is passionate about deacons. Well, finally, close with this. What's your responsibility in all of this? Look at the last few verses. I hope to come to you soon, Paul says. I'm writing these things so that you'll know how to behave in the household of God, the family. He's using this imagery of family, home. Family, home, household, church. Saying, remember... You're a family, made a family by Christ and all that he has done for you. And we are together looking to Christ. And then he says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. It's as though he is saying, look, let's remember, (laughs) as we're thinking about elders and deacons, there's only one perfect elder. There's only one perfect disciple maker. There's only one perfect deacon, one perfect servant. There's only one perfect pastor. It's Jesus. You remember Luke 15 when Jesus was sitting with some people who thought they had it all together who thought they had all the answers. In fact, he's eating with them, spending the evening with them. Uh, And they're self-righteous. They think they've got all the answers. They think they're right. You know them, the the Pharisees. He says, you know what? Let me tell you a story, as Jesus often does. I want to tell you a story. Do you have one of these, by the way? You have one of these in your family? You have a black sheep in your family? You have a lost sheep in your family? He says, let me tell you all a story. And he tells this famous story of the lost sheep. And he says, what man of you? Has hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one who is lost 
until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found the sheep that was lost. What, and what he's getting at with these self-righteous people, He's saying, you know, the, you know what you did to save yourself? The only thing you did to make yourself right with Christ, to save yourself, you know what you did? The only thing you did was get lost. He has come after you and sought you and found you. And then this wonderful verse in Luke 15, 5, and when he has found the sheep, he lays it, on his shoulders, rejoicing. He seeks us, he finds us, and he takes joy in putting us on his shoulders. He takes joy in bearing our burden, the burden of our sin. And he brings us home and he says to the rest of us, Rejoice with me, the sheep is home. Rejoice with me as a family, as a household. The sheep is home. Who's the black sheep? Who's the lost sheep? What's he saying to these self-righteous people and to us? We are. Every single one of us. Saved because of what that represents. The body and blood of Christ. Look, as you consider, I'm going to pray for our officers. I'm going to pray that the Lord might lead me to nominate somebody. And as I come to the Lord's table and the elders serve me the means of grace, I hope that you will have ringing in your ears and pressed into your heart the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of in one sense, stepping back and considering your commands and and guidance for your church, your bride, uh, the bride for whom you, you died. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this season at Highlands beginning uh, next month, we would pray for our shepherds. We would pray for our servants. We would pray for our elders. We would pray for our deacons. We would pray for our pastors. And we would pray for one another, recognizing that we have all been saved by by grace alone, that you sought us and found us and bore our burden and brought us home. And I pray that we would be a rejoicing people. And Lord, give us guidance. Give us guidance as we seek to be faithful to you and your calling as a church. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.